everybody thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of reasonably outrageous i'm your co-host matt wyrick alongside as always blake pace here on wednesday morning following game six of a crazy world series game probably the most eventful one we had uh, so far in this series some people have started to complain that the series was getting a little bit boring but this this game certainly had the theatrics that a lot of people were looking for. Tons of drama, uh, some great pitching, some outstanding hitting performances as well. Uh, and we're really getting the complete package here now with the Game 7. Blake, how you doing, man? I'm good, yeah. I, I, first off, you know, how, how nervous does that have to make you going back and forth like that? Especially last night, you know, um, for, from, from a Nats perspective. How, how was that going through last night's game? You know... I mean, I felt like we had a really good chance last night. The Nats, you know, going in there with Strasburg on the mound uh, after, you know, three straight games scoring one run or less certainly wasn't going to get it done, especially against this Astros offense that had a historic season by all measures. Uh, mm-hmm. And if, if you look at this Astros team as a whole, they have the highest war ever, uh, or I'm sorry, not ever, but the highest war by a team uh, in the entire 2010s decade. So this is certainly uh, one of the best teams that we've seen coming out of the regular season, making it all the way to the World Series. And uh, there's no doubt about it. You know, you need to score some runs if you're going to play against, do well against them. But Strasburg was incredible. Uh, we saw Anthony Rendon come up huge clutch with a, a big hit. But, you know, I, I think... It, I felt good about this. It's now it comes down to Strasser, to Scherzer uh, in Game Seven, and whether or not you know he's at a hundred percent health. That's obviously the the biggest wild card here mm-hmm. is whether or not you know he can go, give you seven innings uh, of strong pitching, or, or if you're going to have to go to the bullpen early. If, if the bullpen is out there, you know after the fifth inning, uh, I'm going to be a little bit worried. Now, of course, Anibal Sanchez, Patrick Corbin, and maybe even Strasburg uh, will be available. In this game, considering it's Game Seven of the World Series, you have nothing left right. to wait for. Uh, so we probably won't see any uh, bullpen arms until the the late innings, if at all. But uh, you know, it, it's been a roller coaster, and certainly yeah, you go up two zero, you feel good, and then drop three straight, and you, you're on the brink of elimination. Uh, not the best feeling for a sports fan, but hmm. um, yeah, I think right now, you know, Game Seven is all any Nats fan could ask for. I know, I'm excited for it. Looking very forward to it. I was, I was thinking that. Um. Oh, we won't. We won't get the day, the night of, or the morning after reaction. But we'll we'll have plenty to talk about on on Friday's episode when it comes to it as well, too. Absolutely, and we'll get to talking some game seven stuff in a little bit. But we want to start with some NFL. We had the trade deadline yesterday. Uh, I guess yeah, yesterday. Uh, I keep thinking that you all listen to this tomorrow, but of course we're recording at hmm. six and seven in the morning uh, oh, yeah. with our respective time zones. So you all listen to this today. Uh, we had the trade deadline mostly uh, quiet for most teams. You know, we talked before the show, not even worth really diving into, uh, considering there weren't any huge impact trades. I think you know some of the bigger ones we saw uh, already happened uh, before the deadline. Uh, with Jalen Ramsey going over to the uh, Rams uh, and Mohamed Sanu getting traded to the Patriots. I think those were probably the two biggest moves that we saw. Blake, any real quick notes uh, on the trade deadline? 
No, I mean, with the Leonard Williams deal, I'm pretty excited about the young defensive line that's with the uh, Giants now. You know, they've got Dalvin Tomlinson, now Leonard Williams. They drafted Dexter Lawrence last year out of Clemson. Even if... if, even if Leonard Williams isn't the long-term answer and they do just kind of let him walk um, into free agency and get a bigger deal elsewhere, I think the the next eight weeks are going to be pretty fun to see from those three guys. And then the Rams, you know, smart move by them. They, they realize that, you know, um, in that other trade that happened yesterday, sending Aqib Tlaib to Miami, um, you know, kind of like what we saw with the Brock Osweiler trade a couple of years ago um, when, you know, it's just, okay, we got we to gotta dump this salary somewhere. You know, they've got extensions coming up for, for, for a ton of guys. Uh, you know, Jalen Ramsey probably being the most, um, you know, the the most the, the next one that's coming. And so uh, smart by them to be able to do that and just tie in an extra fifth-round pick for the Dolphins to get. But, um, but yeah, kind of a boring deadline. I, I got really distracted at work. I was scrolling through my phone, updating every minute on Twitter, and, uh, and then it hit four, and I was like, oh, that, that kind of sucked, but... No, yeah, yeah. The, the, not any great takeaways or, or big, you know, team-changing events uh, during the deadline. Yeah, I was on Trent Williams' watch at work trying to yep. uh, see if the Redskins were going to deal him, uh, and it looked like they were in talks with the Browns for a while, but ultimately uh, Washington's front office just wouldn't budge off an extremely high price. Uh, at first, I think Bruce Allen went in there asking for a first-round pick, and then there were rumors coming out that they were asking for Denzel Ward, uh, which is a non-starter uh, for the Browns. Mm-hmm. You know, that's worth way more than a first-round pick, you know, a young yeah. cornerback uh, with the kind of potential that he has. So, uh, you know, the Redskins are all over the place. Williams reports uh, to the to the team, but I don't expect him to play. Uh, it looks like he's just showing up so that it counts as a year toward his NFL service time uh, so that he doesn't have to stay an extra year in Washington uh, and they lose a year of control by him you know, reporting to the facility. But I don't expect him to play at all. Um, and certainly that, that's been a, a tough situation for the Redskins this year. But yeah, like we said, not a whole lot of action. Uh, so we're just going to go ahead and jump into Stockwatch. Uh, we'll, we'll break down a, a couple of stocks we're buying and selling. Uh, after week eight, we've reached the midpoint of the season. Uh, and we've got uh, some surprise teams at the top of, the, of some divisions, some not-so-surprise teams. So uh, a lot to unpack here. We'll start with Buy, 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 one stock uh, that's on the rise. You are jumping on that train. Blake, who do you got? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm jumping on this train, but with a little bit of caution. Um, and... and and you know what? It's it's not that I see them coming into the playoff um, hunt. I don't see them taking the division. I think they might have a, a good shot at taking you know a final wild card spot possibly. But I really liked what I've seen out of the Tennessee Titans since Ryan Tannehill took over at quarterback. Um, now their their wins haven't been easy. They haven't been crushing teams. You know, narrow victory over Tampa Bay. Uh, barely beating the Chargers, a game that they should have lost. Um, to me, for the Titans though. I like just what I'm seeing from their offense with a quarterback that is confident and willing to push push the ball down the field. Um, Ryan Tannehill has opened up the game for receivers like A.J. Brown and Corey Davis that they can get the ball in open space, be able to do something with it. Um, and when you add that element to their offense, it, it gives Derrick Henry more opportunities where it's not, you know, when Mariota was there and the passing game wasn't, successful by any means it was okay let's stack the box against Derrick Henry every play and make him struggle to to you know struggle for 60 minutes and now 
Um, you've got the game open a little bit with with Davis and AJ Brown. Derrick Henry's got a little more room to operate now. I, you know they're at four and four. You know they started down at that two and four range and they've won two in a row now and they've got a tough next three weeks. But um, they actually play each team in the AFC South over the next three weeks. And so if they can come out of that taking two of three, um, you know I, I think that that's a good uh, sign for them going upward. But more so. Bye bye bye. I just think that this Titans team um, can be a good one at least by next season. Um, that one that we could, you know, we should take a look at as like real playoff contenders because their defense is solid. Their offensive line is a little bit shaky, but still talented players on there. Um, and, and to me, if you go and draft another quarterback that's a, a young gunslinger, if you're able to get one of those, you know, number three or four guys like Joe Burrow, Jordan Love, um, whoever may be available down toward that range, wherever they're picking, uh, I, I kind of like what I'm seeing from Tennessee. And, and uh, it, I'm not sure if it'll pay off immediately this year, but I think next year uh, we'll see a, we'll see a pretty good season out of them. Yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, obviously he's only you know started two games, but. Uh, and played in four, but his yards per attempt, highest in his career, 8.3. His passer rating, 108.3, also highest in his career. Uh, you know, didn't rack up a ton of yards last week against the Bucks, uh, but did throw for three touchdowns. I mean, you know, I, I think that you know, we look at the situation going on in Miami right now, and it's obvious that Tannehill was not put in a position to succeed uh, mm-hmm. for several years in his career. And not that necessarily the Titans are, are a world-beating organization either, uh, but certainly a step up from, from where Miami is right now. And we're kind of seeing him, like you said, really open up the field and, and expand his game uh, in a way that he really wasn't able to with the Dolphins. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what he does the rest of the season. And, you know, the, the Titans entering this year uh, were worried about Marcus Mariota and you know whether or not they were going to pick up that option at the end of the year they may have found their quarterback of the future in Ryan Tannehill <laughs> which is uh amazing mm-hmm. to think about considering you know how far he fell uh in the the minds of, of his organization before uh to the point where they were willing to trade him and now you know I, I'm excited for you know what the future holds for him so I agree with you I, I buy into that stock I've been kind of like watching him uh, throughout the season, and, and as Mariota struggled, I felt like they were going to have a quick hook with him and throw Tannehill in, and certainly, you know, he's risen to the occasion. Mm-hmm, definitely, and and yeah, if, if Tannehill is even, um, you know, the solution for two, three years while they bridge up a, a quarterback that they like that they maybe got a little bit later in the draft or something, um, I don't know. I just think that when you've got a downfield thrower, someone who's confident, aggressive, pushes the button, um, it just opens up a lot of things. And so, yeah, I, I like that roster. I like Mike Vrabel and um, feeling good about him. All right. So stock I'm buying into is, is technically two teams and specifically mm-hmm. two teams defenses. Uh, and that's the 49ers and the Patriots. But obviously everybody knows they're the two best defenses in the NFL. That's not what I'm saying. The stock I'm buying is that the 49ers and Patriots defenses are historic where they are right now. And, you know, the big knock on both those teams so far has been that they've played uh, very mm-hmm. light schedules. But as of right now, the 49ers and the Patriots through the first eight weeks of the season, now the 49ers have played only seven games, so take that as you will, uh, they are averaging, according to Sports Illustrated, fewer yards per game than the 85 Bears, the 2000 Ravens, and the 2002 Buccaneers were through this point. And they're averaging fewer points than the 85 Bears and the 2000 Ravens and then the Bucks. uh 
average 8.75 points per game through this point. That's The Patriots are less than that at 7.6. The 49ers just a couple ticks above at 11 points per game. So the, these two defenses are on pace uh, in an era where the NFL has really emphasized offense. It's never been harder uh, to be a stout defensive team with the number of penalties uh, that go on uh, and how hard it is for you know you to hit players in open space and things like that. Uh, they're succeeding anyway. And I think that, you know, yes, they've had light schedules, sure. But the, the numbers that they're putting up, we're, we're getting to the point in the year where regardless of schedule, it's significant. Uh, you know, we're, we're at the midway point and sure that, you know, the 49ers have had, I think it's the third easiest schedule and the Patriots the fourth. Um, but at a certain point, you just have to, you know, hand your hat and say, okay, you know, these are good, good teams. And we're going to get to see them uh, go into a second half in which they play uh, some tougher units. Uh, the, the 49ers have games against the Packers and the Saints left on their schedule and two against the Seahawks, uh, mm. which make me uh, excited to see what they do against those opposing offenses. Uh, and the Patriots certainly uh, have some some tough tasks against the uh, uh, left on the schedule as well, uh, including the Ravens on Monday Night Football this week. So we're going to get to see the two of them uh, go against some tougher units. And sure, these numbers might go up a little bit, but the point where they are right now, I mean, we're seeing perhaps two of the best defenses in NFL history in the same season, and that's pretty incredible. Yeah, and especially like you said with with the timing of it, where the the league is going so offensive heavy. You think about the the Rams' offense that that you know the put up historic points um, per game. The Falcons who did it a couple of years back too. It's an offensive league, and right now we've got two defenses out there um, that that are just dominating. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't give a shit about the schedule. Um, you know, I, I always talk. I have people commenting on my articles where I have the the Patriots ranked number one. It's like, oh, they haven't played anybody. I don't care. Their defense is making adequate offenses and and players just you know stand still for sixty minutes. And so, um, I, I'm a big fan of both those defenses right now. I mean, they're the two best teams in football to me. Um, if you're talking in terms of like right now roster talent stuff like that, and um, and yeah, I, I think both of them. Both of them are, are it, it's it's fun to watch. <laughs> you know, everyone likes to watch the games where, where the Rams and the 49ers, you know, are putting up 35 points each and they're just going back and forth exchanging body blows. But I, I'll be honest, I love watching the Patriots just stuff opposing offenses, especially when it's, you know, teams that had high expectations like the Browns, um, you know, seeing, you know, Sam Darnold get, get destroyed by them. Um, yeah, th- these two defenses are extremely fun to watch. You know, as much, you know, uh, social media hype as, as the whole goat seeing ghost thing got for, for Sam Darnold, I think the, the more significant postgame uh, comments came from Baker Mayfield after Cleveland lost 27-13 to last week. He went out in the, on his podium and said that the Patriots weren't trying anything special against them, that he was just flat out outplayed uh Mm -hmm. and that defense was just making big plays i mean at that point i mean isn't that a worst case scenario uh, (laughs) for for the browns i mean you know if if they're really not trying to fool you and they're just simply outplaying you that's kind of rock bottom i know the the browns have had the hardest schedule in the nfl uh to this point and things will get a little bit easier for them but that has got to be rock bottom uh for the for the browns anyway Uh, I do think that these two teams are among the four best teams in the NFL. I would say that the Packers uh, and Saints uh, are are two Mm -hmm. two and three, maybe. Uh, I didn't put that in a particular order. I haven't 
necessarily map that out, but I think that the 49ers, the only thing that I hold against them right now is, is Jimmy G and the fact that they've had yeah. uh, a lighter schedule. Jimmy G hasn't really had to prove himself. You know, the, that rushing attack has been able to carry the load for that offense. The, the, the injection of Tevin Coleman since he came back from injury has been huge. Uh, but at a certain point, you know, the, like I said, the, this team is playing both the Saints and Packers down the stretch. Uh, at a certain point, the 49ers are going to be trailing, e- even with how good this defense is. Uh, and, you know, Jimmy G hasn't really had to work with that, those kind of situations yet uh, because, you know, you're not going to be able to rely on the run game as much. You're going to need to put the ball in his hands and tell him to do something. Uh, and mm-hmm. I don't know. It, I'm not ready to put my vote of confidence in him just yet. I want to see him do it right. a time or two before I anoint him uh, above teams with Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers where I feel very comfortable in those situations. Anyway, so we're going to move on to short or blah, sell, sell, sell. Uh, one stock that is on the downward trend that you are getting away from while you still can, Blake. Who you got? Yeah, I, I'm not touching them. I I I hate watching this team play, and I think we can officially say, you know, they've only played seven games. That it is time to just move past the idea uh, that the Chicago Bears are going to be able to repeat what they did last year. I mean, you know, Mitchell Trubisky alone. First off, not great. Ryan Pace will go down in history as the guy that drafted Mitch over to Sean Watson and Patrick Mahomes, and that's going to be that's going to be the mark on his career. Um, they won't remember, you know, the great defense that he traded for, the Khalil Mack trade. All those things are nice, but when you look at the end of the day and you see that Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson are going to be two of the best quarterbacks for the next 15 years, and you drafted Mitch Trubisky, uh, that's that's not the right. Uh, th- that's what's going to be, you know, the downfall of of his career and kind of the the mark on his name. Um, but the problem now is, is, is it's not just Mitch, you know, Chuck Pagano hasn't done a great job with their defense. Um, teams are putting up points on him pretty easily. Um, Matt Nagy, he was the coach of the year. What, what the hell was that on, um, on Sunday where he decided not to run the ball, uh, not to pass the ball with 50 seconds left to take a knee and just give your kicker who Chicago is historically, you know, panicky over their kickers in the last year or so. And and you're just going to let him take a 41-yarder without even just trying to push it forward. He's saying, you know, he was he stood by it and defended it, which I, I understand he wants to do because he wants to validate himself. But even on a run, he, he said he was worried about losing three or four yards because they're going to sell it on the run. Um, the run game was working perfect for Chicago that entire game. Jordan Howard and David Montgomery, or sorry, not Jordan Howard, David Montgomery and, and uh, Tariq Cohen were having a pretty solid day. And so, um, uh, you know, sell it on the run, maybe a play action. If they're going to sell it at the run, you got Allen Robinson. Um, you, you got some talented receivers. Uh, the Chicago Bears, I, I'm, I didn't have them in my postseason. I'm not sure what I had them finish at, whether it was 9 or 7, 8 and 8. But mm-hmm. We both this had is, them out. Yeah, this is just this is just bad. I, I want to stay away from it. I'm selling all my stock on the Bears. Yeah, I'm staying in the same uh, ballpark with you here. My sell, sell, sell is Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, there you um, go. You know, th- this team... It's got a tough schedule ahead. Uh, we've talked about this before, but just running down the list of teams they have yet to play. Uh, they have to play the Eagles, then the Lions, then the Rams. They get a game against the Giants. Then they go to close out the year. Lions, Cowboys, Packers, Chiefs, Vikings. There's no letting up uh, at all in that schedule. Uh, and, and I really don't see them coming out of there with anything close to a winning record. Uh, you know, 
Trubisky, uh, the, the Chicago Tribune reported that Matt Nagy uh, in his two-minute offense has been running almost exclusively pass plays that have predetermined routes for him, uh, and he's still struggling uh, where he doesn't have to make very many reads. Uh, and, and that's, you know, a sign, a lack of confidence, as was the, the way that you just mentioned Nagy ran the, the two-minute drill at, at the end of the game, uh, ending up having to put that ball uh in the hands of Eddie Pinero uh, rather than Trubisky, which is never a position you want to be in, you know, forced to rely more on your kicker than your quarterback. Uh, so certainly, you know, he's fallen out of favor. Do they start Chase Daniel the rest of the way? I say no. Mm. I don't I don't really yeah. think there's a point at, right now uh, because, you know, Trubisky's trade value could not be any lower, uh, in my opinion. Uh, and, and certainly, if you're the Bears and you go out the rest of the year and you know you finish five and eleven, uh, maybe you think about drafting a quarterback uh, and moving on from Trubisky. Maybe yeah. you think of, of going after a guy like Teddy Bridgewater in the off season. Or uh, it would be so funny if they got Andy Dalton because that would be such such a Bears move. It'd be better. It'd be it better would, than Mitch. It would be better for sure. I mean, honestly, at this point, there aren't very yeah. many quarterbacks I would say wouldn't be better than Trubisky uh, at where he is right now. He just he can't read the, the field. Uh, he's, he can make some plays with his legs, but uh, as far as when he drops back, I just have no confidence that he's going to be able to orchestrate uh, a good offense. And, you know, we, we knew going into the year that Trubisky was going to be a liability. Nobody expected him to really carry this offense by any means. Uh, but last year, you know, the Bears succeeded it in, in spite of him, not because of him really by any means. And uh, they had a, a great running game around him and some solid receivers that he was able to work with. And, of course, a defense that gave him chance after chance after chance uh, to mm -hmm. run down the field. But, you know, at this point, especially considering the um, the, play, the quarterbacks that were drafted before him, if you're the Bears, you know, you got to be thinking about moving on. And, and Matt Nagy, of course, did not uh, draft Trubisky. He was actually no. with the Chiefs uh, when they drafted Mahomes uh, and then came over. So for him uh, to now have inherited a quarterback in Trubisky, who he certainly doesn't think fits his offense with the way that he's been scheming the guy, uh, I think that they move on after this season. Yeah, uh, it, they they need to. Um, you know, I, the days of letting Jameis Winston and Mariota play seven years and just waste a franchise, you know, almost for the course of a decade now because you take into to account you got to build up the next guy. And so um, for the Bears, there's a talented defense. Nagy last year seemed like he was a good coach. I'm not sure. Um, what what we're going to get out of him consistently, but um, it does start at Mitch. He He's the biggest glaring problem, and so if you want to salvage any of the potential that they had from last year, um, you, you got to move on from quarterback. I think it's, it's, it's never soon enough. All right, Blake. We've now got uh, a stock here that you're going to short, a stock that is on the rise, but yeah. maybe you don't necessarily <laughs> believe in. I'm really interested to see what you got here. Yeah, dude, it's the Minnesota Vikings and Kirk Ooh. Cousins. Fiery I, take. Everyone's dude, jumping on that bandwagon right now. I know. I he's getting he's gonna give everybody the biggest blue balls of his career, bro. <laughs> he really is. I, I the Vikings are six and two, and so, you know, maybe the record can get them into that one of those last wildcard spots. I personally don't think they they're a playoff team. Um Wow. I just, I really just, I don't see it. I, they played three really bad opponents, and Kirk Cousins dominated them. He looked good against the Lions, but the Lions are in the, I think, 28th in passing yards allowed per game. Then they go out on a short week, so I'm not going to, you know, slam them too much, but only beating Minnesota or Washington by 10. 
this week they've got the Chiefs up. That's going to be a tough matchup. You know, Matt Moore uh, was able to to go into stride and and work well with um, with Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid. And I just I don't I don't buy it. I think that really Kirk Cousins. Let's just take a look at the opposing defenses that they face. I'm, I'm, my schedule is loading right now, but um, you've got the Falcons, terrible. Yeah. You've yep. got the Packers, decent. Uh, yeah. You got the the Raiders, okay. The Bears, good, but not where we thought they were. And then Giants, worst secondary in football. Eagles, maybe rivaling mm-hmm. for them for that. Yep. The Lions, uh, who who are pretty good. Uh, and then the Redskins, who are you know, right? The Redskins, <laughs> exactly. And and the schedule is a mixed bag the rest of the way. Chiefs are tough. Cowboys could be tough. Seahawks um, taking on the Packers and, and the Bears and the Lions one more time. But you know they've also got some games against the Broncos and the Chargers that they should be able to win. Um, to me, you know, I think at best this caps out around nine or seven, eight and eight. But I don't think that's good enough to make the playoffs. And I think Kirk Cousins, we got so used to seeing him play great football against some bad secondaries, um, especially going all the way back to that Giants, Eagles, Lions, Redskins. Those are four really bad secondaries. And, and yeah, he, he didn't throw for a ton of yards or touchdowns against the Redskins, but he was extremely efficient. Uh, I just I, I, I want to stay away. I want to short it. I really don't think that this is a, a – actually what the Vikings are and I think some of their tougher opponents will uh will expose them on that yeah I mean we did see Kirk Cousins win a primetime game if you can yeah. count Thursday night football uh, <laughs> against as the a Red primetime game um but even then he really wasn't mm-hmm. otherworldly uh didn't throw for a touchdown 285 yards uh right. did have a high completion percentage yeah, though, at 88.5 but yeah I mean you know I I do think that this team is very good. Uh, I I think Dalvin Cook has really emerged as one of the best running backs yeah. in the NFL, and we always kind of knew that he had that potential. Uh, just the injuries have been such a problem for him in years past. Um, but with that receiving core, with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, uh, Kyle Rudolph is a solid tight end uh, and a red zone threat. I mean, he's definitely got the weapons around him, uh, and, and that defense gets the job done. I just, you know, I, I like you said. Cousins has given us blue balls yeah. plenty of times before. Uh, he's playing some of the best football of his career. I'll give him that. Uh, right. It's just a question of whether or not you believe it's sustainable. Uh, and I understand where you're coming from and that you don't think it is. Yeah, yeah. I just don't want to. I don't want to put investment. I think he's really just. I think he's really setting us up for something funny. Well, my team uh, that the stock I'm shorting right now uh, is over. Uh, staying in the NFC, but over in the West, and that was, is with the Seattle Seahawks, a yeah. team that I actually picked uh, to go to the postseason. I believe I had them winning the division uh, in the NFC West right now. And look, I love this offense. I think that Russell Wilson uh, is an MVP candidate. There's no doubt about it. Chris Carson is fantastic, man. I think that he's really having a breakout mm-hmm. season this year, uh, and he's actually one of my favorite running backs uh, in the NFL. You've got Rashad Penny uh, to change things up if you need to. Tyler Lockett's emerging uh, as a number one receiver. DK Metcalf has really shown uh, flashes of, of some serious potential. There's a lot to like there uh, in that offense, but the defense is really where I start to get concerned. Uh, right now, only 
No players have more than two sacks. Uh, right now you have five with two at the moment. Javian Clowney uh, has stepped up a little bit uh, and, and been a pretty good addition for that team. But really uh, where I'm concerned is the secondary, uh, where the Seahawks as of right now uh, are one of the worst secondaries in football. I believe they rank sixth uh, in the NFL, uh, sixth worst, excuse me, uh, in passing yards allowed per game. Uh, and they haven't necessarily faced some, some great offenses uh, in the passing game. And now going into the rest of the season, you know, we talk about uh, how tough that schedule is uh, for the Browns. The Seahawks opponents uh, over the rest of the season have a 642 winning percentage right now. That's the highest in the NFL uh, of any team. So they are really looking at a tough road ahead. in playing the, the Bucks next week. Then you got the 49ers. You come out of the bye, you go Eagles, you go Vikings, Rams, uh, Panthers. Cardinals and 49ers so you still have two games against the 49ers left on the schedule uh it just doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence that they're going to be able to uh win this division uh and usurp the 49ers it's a really tough NFC picture right now uh where we're looking at teams that you know go uh 12 and 14 or are probably going to be like a wild card team at least one uh maybe even two it's going to take at least uh, 11 wins probably to make the playoffs this year in the NFC which is just insane to think about uh mm-hmm. so I don't know if the, the Seahawks are going to be able to rack up enough W's uh, in order to get in that playoff picture. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, giving up nearly 500 yards to Matt Schaub, they should be disappointed. Uh, <laughs> thoroughly, 38-year-old Matt Schaub. And I'll um, say, real quick, not to cut you off, Blake, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Moore, you know, he was schemed by Andy Reid to, to have a great game uh, against the 49ers. <laughs> Matt Schaub actually showed up more where he was kind of creating his own place uh and that that really impressed me uh and you know to the point where i was more impressed with shop's performance than i was with matt moore uh because reed was clearly putting more in a a great position to succeed whereas shop was just kind of stepping up yeah exactly no no i completely agree and and so yeah i'm not i'm not all on the uh, seattle seahawks either um i thought they're like we said i think not sure if we talked about it early on in the season, but they had some fluky wins in there. You mm-hmm. know, the missed field goal by Greg Zerline on Thursday night football, um, barely beating the Cincinnati Bengals in week one. Yeah, the defense the defense isn't good. Um, it just really isn't. And uh, like you said, the schedule doesn't get easier. I think the you know, we've got some teams that are starting to get the ball rolling again. Maybe the Rams are starting to get things going. They're back up to five and three. Um, like they said, the 49ers are most likely going to walk away with that division. And then outside of that, there's a lot of teams, you know, fighting for wild card spots, um, especially, you know, you expect maybe Minnesota to get it out of the NFC North. Um, Carolina is still around four and three. It's going to be tough for Seattle. Um, and and really, it, it needs to be a perfect game for Russell Wilson. And, and for that to happen, you need consistency with Chris Carson. And he's been great. But um, even then, that Ravens game, you know. Chris Carson was pretty much shut down, and then the offense kind of stalled. So it really relies on a strong run game. But, yeah, their defense is a, is a problem. And, I, yeah, I, I would be worried for Seahawks fans. I really wasn't too in love with the team entering the season. I think I had them also just missing the playoffs. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's definitely not looking great. You know, a, a team that I think would have really benefited from trading for Jamal Adams is, is the Seahawks. I felt oh, like, yeah. you know, the Cowboys were the team that was rumored to be really in on him and uh, was trying to make a deal happen, but the uh, Jets had too high of a, a price tag for him. I thought that would have been a great fit uh, in Seattle. You know, you're, you're looking at a team that looks like it 
is a couple pieces away from being a true NFC contender, in my opinion. I know you you aren't as, as high on them overall as I am, um, mm-hmm. but I, I do think that you know they just have some key glaring weaknesses that are going to burn them time and time again. Uh, and if they were able to fill those holes, I'd feel much comfortable uh, about them moving forward. All right. Oh yeah. All right. So last one here uh, on Stock Watch is our savvy investment one team mm-hmm. uh, that maybe isn't getting the, the kind of love or team player coaches isn't getting the kind of love uh, nationwide, but you believe still's got a lot left in the tank. What do you got, Blake? Yeah, mine is a savvy investment for watch them now because in 2020 they're going to be they're going to be pretty good. And uh, I'm actually going with the Oakland Raiders. Nice. Um, I, I've loved. I've, I've, I love watching them. You know, they've become one of my, my teams that, um, you know, when Sunday ticket rolls around, I've got them on one of my four screens. I love watching their offense play. And, and that's even, you know, with Derek Carr and, um, you know, Gruden always loves to rotate through his quarterbacks. And I, I expect Carr to, to give it another go next year when they move to Vegas. But, um, but man, I, I like watching the Raiders play. I, I like what John Gruden is doing. Um, his offense is looking uh, much better than it was last year. I love Josh Jacobs as a running back. Darren Waller came out of nowhere and is one of the better tight ends in football. Um, I think they go into the offseason. You know, you took two of your first-round picks on the defensive side uh, at safety and defensive line. Maybe you try and address, uh, you know, an outside receiver uh, if one is available, depending where you're picking at. Um, there's, 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 uh, it's a great wide receiver class. And then also if you take a look, maybe at, you know, fixing up linebacker, cornerback. Um, I, I think that this is just a, it's a fun team to watch. I'm putting my investment in them now. I'm putting, okay, Raiders 2020. I, I'm going to be excited for that team. And I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, I mean, the offense has really stepped up, and I think Derek Carr is saving his career uh, with yeah. the season that he's mm-hmm. having, which is good to see. Uh, he's such a good guy. Um, you know, certainly been rooting for him over the years. Uh, but they add, you know, those pieces in Josh Jacobs. Waller has been incredible. Really, Carr loves his tight ends, man. Jared Cook yeah. had a fantastic year last year. Uh, you get some talent into that position, and that's going to be huge for him uh, because he is the, the check down uh, king of the NFL. Um, Unfortunately, he, he doesn't pass uh, as down far far down the field as I wish he would. Um, mm-hmm. But th- this offense definitely has some pieces that get you excited. The defense certainly still needs some work. Uh, one of the worst teams in the league at forcing turnovers right now, uh, and has been an area of concern for them. So they're going to need to uh, you know find some playmakers uh, over right. the next year. But I think you know when when Gruden signed on with this Raiders team, he was kind of expecting to be, need a couple years. Uh, to, to build this team into a contender. They were obviously terrible last year. They, they traded Khalil Mack uh, before the season started. They knew they were going to be bad, uh, but they got out ahead of it and got some draft picks. And that, honestly, you know, that move is looking like a fantastic trade for the Raiders. It got slammed at the time, um, but they've already, you know, made good use of, of their draft picks, uh, mm-hmm. drafting Josh Jacobs. Uh, and certainly, you know, you look at where the Bears are right now, especially considering where they are against the cap. They have some of the, one of the fewest uh, cap space in the NFL. Fell right now, they with the addition of Mac and the extension that they gave him, it gives them very little flexibility uh, moving forward. And with a lack of draft picks around him uh, to help supplant that big contract, they're certainly looking like they're in a tough spot. Uh, which is interesting because 
The Rams just made a similar trade uh, with uh, the Jaguars in acquiring Mm -hmm. acquiring Jalen Ramsey, and they are looking to give him a big extension as well. That's why they traded Aqib Tlaib uh, was to make room for that contract. But the Bears uh, are similar to the Rams in that the Rams have given a lot of extensions to to players uh, right now. You know, you've got Goff locked up, you've got Gurley locked up, you've got Brandon Cooks locked up. uh, You know, a lot of big contracts around that team. And if you hand more money to Jalen Ramsey with the fewer draft picks that you have right now, I mean, the Rams are going all in on these next two seasons. And Mm -hmm. you you look at what might be happening after that, uh, and there's a little reason for worry. So all of this goes back to the Raiders uh, somehow. And, you know, (laughs) I think that Gruden has been, you know, a little bit knocked too hard uh, for the job that he's been doing. Uh, Mike Mayock actually uh, looks pretty good right now, too, uh, the, the impact that he's had. Obviously, the Antonio Brown drama was a big distraction for this team and uh, Vontez Perfect and him uh, hitting Jack Doyle, the helmet to helmet. Those have been maybe some unnecessary distractions that you kind of signed up for uh, when you brought those guys on. But uh, the rest of the team has quietly been very solid. And, and I, th- mm-hmm. I think you're right. The, the future looks really good. Yeah, I, I definitely think, um, yeah, hasn't been getting the credit. They're slowly building something, and it, you made me think of one last note. And we're jumping. I'm jumping back to the Rams too, um, <laughs> just because that this is a trend that that we've seen now, and it's become a thing of his career. Uh, I think we see another Brandon Cooks trade. I think he gets shipped off to another team after this year, just with his salary cap. I mean, the Rams have a lot to figure out. Nothing, nothing like j- just a random thought that popped in my head. Of course, he got traded from New Orleans and then New England. I think he'll probably be on the move given the emergence of Cooper Cup, Robert Woods still being there. Um, yeah, and, and they can always draft a you know a mid-round guy kind of like that and they like Josh Reynolds too I think they'd be yep. very comfortable using him as, as a number three receiver uh in mm. you know they're paying Cooks to be the number one guy and he clearly isn't the number one guy uh for that team and honestly I'd say last year even then I think Robert Woods was probably yeah, Robert their, Woods their great. Uh, best receiver over the course of the season of course Cup towards ACL so he wasn't able to make a full impact but uh I don't think Cooks has necessarily been you know that guy for them uh that they were hoping he'd be when they acquired him certainly you know still fast as hell and can take the top off the defense defense at any given moment but uh yeah I, I agree with you I think that's something that they would really benefit from looking into because you know that they're not going to be able to get rid of that girly contract even if they wanted to they probably don't um but with his knee problems uh there's no way that they'd be able to get the kind of value that they'd look for there uh, all right so my team or last thing here uh, my savvy investment uh actually lies in Indianapolis uh, I believe that the Colts uh, are on track to get a first round bye uh, in the Ooh, AFC. Talk dirty to me. Oh, I think that right now you're looking at the second best team uh, in the AFC finishing Ooh. with four four losses right now. You need to go twelve and four uh, t- at least uh, to get the AFC second round bu- or second bye. Uh, obviously, the Patriots are going to get the first one, but in the NFC, you know, I think we're looking at a couple of fourteen and two, thirteen and three teams. But I don't think you're going to need that. Uh, in the AFC, it looks like right now that the true contenders for that second buy are the Chiefs, who are at five and three, the Colts at five and two, the Texans at five and three, the Ravens at five and two. So as of right now, those are probably the four teams that you think uh, really could contend for it. 
and the Chiefs are all, already at three losses. Uh, certainly, without Mahomes, you, you'd think that maybe uh, if they lose at least one more game uh, in that stretch before Mahomes comes back, uh, they could be in trouble. Uh, we've seen them, you know, falter with Mahomes this season. Uh, a couple of losses, including one to Indianapolis, which gives them a huge tie-breaking advantage uh, right now. And the other team that they've lost to, uh, other than Green Bay last week, was Houston. So they might have a lose the tiebreaker there uh, to the Texans. Those are two huge losses. Uh, and of mm-hmm. course, the Patriots do play the Chiefs. Uh, later on this year too so if the Patriots just go undefeated then uh, that's a loss for Kansas City right there so I I think you're looking at at least four losses for the Chiefs if not more this year Uh, I could see them finishing around 11 and 5 the Colts coming into this week uh, five and two, which is the fewest losses of any of those teams, uh, or the tied with the the Ravens. Uh, they go into a nice little stretch here. You've got the Steelers, you've got the uh, Dolphins, you've got the Jaguars, uh, Texans, t- Titans, Bucks, and then you close out with the Saints, Panthers, and Jaguars. So you've got two games against Jacksonville. Those are going to be pretty big, plus another game against Houston, another game against Tennessee. Uh, I'd expect them to lose maybe two games in that stretch of, of the, against those divisional teams uh, if if not one. Uh, certainly they seem to me like the best team in the AFC South. I think they're the biggest force to be reckoned with. I mean, Jacoby Brissett is proving all doubters wrong right now. Uh, and Deshaun Watson might be the best quarterback in that division. But mm-hmm. I think that, you know, if you look at the situation that the quarterback has put in, Brissett is being elevated by such a fantastic roster yeah. as well uh, that, you know, I, I just can't bet against them. The Ravens will play the Patriots this week, and I've talked before how I don't believe that they are really true contenders. You know, I talked about that Seattle Seahawks secondary uh, being one of the worst in football. The Ravens are right behind them in yards per game at seventh worst in the NFL, so they've been, uh, you know, had some trying times. Certainly, uh, they've made some upgrades and should be getting uh, Jimmy Smith back soon, so they're hoping to have a bit better of a defensive unit. Um, but they've got a tough schedule the rest of the way as well. They still play the Rams. They still play the 49ers. Uh, so they play the Texans as well. So some tough games that they have to play after going uh, against the Patriots this week. So overall, I think that the Colts have the clearest path to having the second-best record uh, mm-hmm. in the AFC, maybe tied with the Bills, but the Bills will be behind the Patriots in the AFC East anyway, so it won't matter. Uh, so, and I'm only saying that because the Bills' schedule is so light. I think the Colts are a much better team than Buffalo. Um, but I think that there really is a clear path here for Indianapolis to, to get that second bye. They just can't screw it up. Yeah, uh, listen, I, I generally – tend to be a a pessimistic Colts fan and I say that every time I talk about them um but but it's it's a good situation to be in already having the upper edge schedule isn't isn't too rough through the rest of the way um and and yeah look Frank Reich great he's got to be up there with with you know your guy Sean Payton and also Kyle Shanahan for coach of the year um, those those really have to be the top three to me. It's a crowded race. I would probably it say really Sean. Is. I would say Sean Payton and Frank Reich are, are you know one A and one B right now, wherever you want to situate them at. But um, yeah. you know Frank Reich, talented offensive line. Marlon Mack is 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 solid. Um, I, I still have worries about the defense. Uh, you know, um, they they've done well against the Texans and the Chiefs, which has been kind of surprising because you know you, you'd think of. Mahomes and Watson and and the damage that they can do so um I don't know I just I feel I I don't feel 100% comfortable with them I think they still have the the potential to win the division um 
And uh, but yeah, the the path is there. as As long as they keep doing what they're doing, they're 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 gonna have a really good shot at getting that first round by. And and what a surprising story to come out. Um, I love you know, it, man. Given, I love it, that stuff. It's it's great. It, it's really cool. I'm buying in. Hey, I mean, hey, I love I, it. Thank I, you. I wouldn't. I wasn't necessarily a huge believer at the start of the season. You know, like we've talked about, we had to do an mm-hmm. emergency podcast uh, yeah. to correct <laughs> our AFC South predictions right. uh, because Andrew Luck was no longer playing quarterback, and I think certainly their ceiling was still higher uh, with Luck as the QB. And I'm not necessarily oh, yeah. saying that the Colts are Can going to be going super deep in the playoffs just yet. I, I want to see him uh, really kick around the rest of the division first. I think you know the Texans. Mm-hmm are hanging around man uh and, and while we we've continued to knock them throughout the year uh point being they have the highest point differential uh in the afc south right now at plus 24 that offense led by deshaun watson uh looks to be the best in that division uh it's really just the defense has been so susceptible so uh i'm i'm circling uh that colts texans game that we've still got left on the schedule it's going to be yeah. a huge one uh november 21st gonna be thursday night football uh is that is that thanksgiving I think it is. Is, is it the 28th? Or no, it's the 28th, 28th is Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. So a week before Thanksgiving, um, they'll be on Thursday Night Football. So finally, well, not finally. I think we've actually had some very good Thursday yeah. Night games this year, oh, yeah. surprisingly. Usually we get some some duds week to week. Um, right. And, you know, last week was kind of in that realm, too. I think Monday Night Football's kind of replaced it as, as the, yes, the shitty Monday games. Monday Night Football's the shit now. <laughs> it really is. I mean, the, the let's be honest, though, that, like, that crew, uh, too, is awful. Oh, they're uh, so bad. And I think the so NFL... Bad. The NFL is just kind of giving the middle finger to ESPN. They're just yeah. like, yeah, we'll, we'll give you our dog shit. I mean, what What even this uh, booger and I don't even remember the play-by-play guy's name. but Joe I mean, Territor. Yeah. Everyone talked about how Jason Wait, Witten was absolutely terrible for that crew last year, but nobody else was really that good either. Uh, and, and the graphics are super weird. They like, I think they're trying a little too hard. They at first had like the down and distance marker in the scoreboard yellow uh at the start of the year and it made everyone think that there was a flag every play uh myself included it was confusing me and they they fixed that by halftime that game but it's just little things like that that i just don't think they do right they Uh, they, so they stopped doing the genesis halftime show yeah Um, the heck was that yeah super i mean it was never (laughs) enjoyable i I never but now that it's gone i'm like what what are you doing man yeah (laughs) but uh, also i said his name wrong it's joe tessator i just wanted to correct myself Ah, there gotcha gotcha all right well that's uh that's it for stock watch. Uh, we're halfway through the NFL season. It's been flying Stop by. Stop reminding me, man. I mean, holy it's so crap! Sad. It literally feels like last week that we were talking our preseason predictions, and now here we are halfway through. But this has been a really fun NFL season so far. It helps that both of our teams have been pretty good. Right. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, um, you know, I think that we have a lot of good storylines. Uh, and not too many major injuries that have taken away from the enjoyment of the season. We had some no. rough ones early on, um, but I, I think where we are right now, uh, you know, cautiously optimistic about that moving forward. Yeah. Uh, football is just such a dangerous game to play, and uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes being out I think is the biggest storyline right now, but uh, he, he obviously avoided major injury, and that's good. So I'm excited for you know, some of the plays and stuff that we're going to be seeing. If, if Aaron Rodgers' throw – uh, last weekend was any indication we're in for some wild plays uh, throughout this season. I love 
vintage Aaron Rodgers being back. He looks uh, unbelievable. He looks so good. Uh, and, and, you know, there's some really good offenses, some good defenses in the mix. Uh, just a really balanced league. Uh, maybe not balanced league. That might be the wrong thing to say because we have four teams that are clearly at the top and then everybody else. But, um, you know, uh, we, we've got some good defenses leading the way. We've got some good offenses leading the way. Uh, and it's not just all one or the other. So that, that makes it for a very intriguing uh, rest of the season. Mm-hmm. So that's going to do it uh, for NFL. Uh, we're going to go ahead and talk some World Series, man. I think uh, I think we got to break down this this Game 7 matchup here. Max Scherzer uh, coming in after being scratched for Game 5 uh, with what was diagnosed as neck and rhomboid stra- uh, spasms. Uh, had to, wouldn't, wasn't even able to get out of bed on his own on Friday. Gets a cortisone shot, uh, which hmm. typically takes 48 hours uh, to kick in. I don't know how those things are legal, man. Uh, they're basically <laughs> yeah. steroids, to Crack be honest. Cocaine. Um, yeah. I've seen, this is the second one that Scherzer has gotten this season uh, after he had his back troubles early on uh, in July. And now, of course, you know, with the World Series being on the line, he is able to work his way back and now has been declared to starter uh, for Game 7, which, you know, is... I, look, if, if he re- says he's ready to go, you pitch him. Uh, but as far as your expectations, you have to be ready. Uh, you're going to have Anibal Sanchez on full rest, Patrick Corbin on short rest, and Steven Strasburg, after last night's game, said that he wasn't declaring himself out for Game 7. Uh, so, you know, the last pitcher to, to pitch... Uh, in Game 6 and then get the win in Game 7. That would be Randy Johnson back in 2001. Mm. And oddly enough, he threw 104 pitches in that Game 6 start. Steven Strasburg last night, 104 pitches. So uh, the the script has written itself already. Strasburg just has to get through it. Um, But they're going to be going against Zach Granke, uh, who has obviously had his struggles in the postseason this year in particular, uh, giving up a lot of home runs. He did pretty well uh, in his other start. Uh, in this World Series uh, against the Nats. He took the, the ball uh, for Game 3, uh, four and two-thirds innings, one run, seven hits with six Ks uh, and three walks. So, you know, not he didn't necessarily yeah. qualify for the win, um, but gave them a couple innings, didn't uh, allow too much damage, and certainly they were happy with that. But uh, in the ALDS, he was absolutely terrible. Uh, it, Against uh, the Rays, he went three and two-thirds, gave up six runs. Uh, against the Yankees, his first start, he had a quality start, six innings, uh, three runs allowed, but you know wasn't racking up the Ks. It wasn't really vintage Granky. I don't think we've gotten another worldly performance from him, so they're going to be asking a lot uh, from Granky in this Game 7. Of course, Cole will be available out of the bullpen. I fully expect to see him pitching uh, yeah. if Granky runs into any trouble at all. In fact, I, if, if Granky runs into trouble in the first two innings, I could see them going to, to Cole that early, honestly. Uh, you know, Verlander maybe not available. Same situation as Strasburg. He pitched last right. night. Uh, you got Jose Urquidy, uh, who was absolutely outstanding for them mm-hmm. in, in Game Four. Uh, so you, you certainly feel comfortable with him coming in and giving you an inning or two. I fully expect them to have a quick hook on Granke uh, if he does struggle. Uh, I don't think he allows more than three runs uh, in this game. Uh, at that no. point, AJ Hinch, uh, who has proven to have a, a quick hook all postseason, will pull him. So. The, the, on paper, this looks like a good pitching matchup between Scherzer and, and uh, Granky, but you know, I, I can't say that you know if the unders at seven and a half, I'm not necessarily feeling good about that under. I feel yeah. like the, both these teams are going to score. Not to say that I don't have confidence in Scherzer going the distance, but considering where he is right now with his injury, yeah. I, I don't necessarily feel like you know you can rely on him to give you seven strong innings like you could with Strasburg last night. 
Right, yeah, you have to be a little bit hesitant with him just because of the injury, and, and you know, he said he was good, and, and we'll see how long he can keep the thing going, uh, you know, later on, um, but I, I'm i excited, uh, you know, Grinky, like you said, he, he did he did decent uh, against um, against him in game three, seven hits, three walks, not not the best outing, definitely better than the, the first two games from Cole and uh, Verlander, um, but... I, I don't know. I I agree. Short lease on Grinky. I think even even inning wise, I feel like you would probably max out around four innings, and then you would probably go to Cole for maybe what two, maybe a little more than two if he's rolling. Sure. Yeah. Um. But then yeah yeah, just switching over to the bullpen for them at that point. Um. Your equity is that your how do you say it? Your Urquidy. Urquidy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's such it's a good re- name. Really I love that. Urquidy. That's a fun one. <laughs> But um, yeah, I don't know. It, it is going to be an interesting game. I, I I agree with you. Seven and a half. I would probably um, bet the over, just because also life's too short uh, to bet the under. <laughs> and um, and yeah, I, I'm excited for tonight. I know I will be. Uh, I'll be glued to my TV. Yeah. It, it, real quick, did you know that Zach is not Zach Ranky's first name? What is his first name? <laughs> it's Donald, man. What? I'm on his baseball reference page. It says his full name is Donald Zachary Granke. <laughs> I am calling him Donald all Ew. night tomorrow. I hate that. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. Um, I want to talk about two things real quick from game six, though. Uh, the first one, uh, Alex Bregman hits that monster home run uh, in the first inning to put the Astros up 2-1, to one, uh, and he carries his bat with him down to first yeah. base. Uh, and a lot of Nats took slight to that. Uh, Davey Martinez said after the game, I didn't like that. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. Like, I thought look, it was too. I, I think that, you know, it's definitely something that I can see the team getting upset about, and that's fine. I'm, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have gotten slighted about that, but I love the way they responded. They didn't bean him. Uh, they didn't, you know, throw a fit or anything po- post game. What did they do? Juan Soto goes, hits a mo- moonshot home run, upper deck, opposite field, and then carries his bat as well all the way down the first baseline. I thought that was the perfect response. Uh, everything about that was amazing. It's, it's you know, we, we've seen all these advertisements from MLB, we play loud, all that kind of stuff. This is the kind of stuff they want to see, let the kids play, all that good stuff. And then post game comes around, and we have Davey Martinez saying, I didn't like that, out of Soto, saying he's going to talk to Soto after hmm. the game, and... Alex Bregman, first thing he says when speaking with reporters is apologizing for right. carrying the bat down the field. Come on, guys. Like, this is the kind of stuff they should be embracing. It was all over social media. People who don't watch baseball saw those videos. That is what MLB needs. I mean, everybody was talking about it in a good, funny way. And now you've got the player who did it apologizing, the manager all mad about it. I mean, come on, give me a break. Yeah, I I enjoyed it, like you said, and also I I mean Soto, especially the clapback was just so so much fun. good, so good. It, it was it was amazing. Um, as soon as he hit that, and also what a fucking moonshot by Bro. Soto. Oh I mean, the, the second that he touched that thing, I knew it was painted and that was going deep. Um, yeah, no, it, I I think it's a fun fun little concept to the game, and and you talk about Soto and just his his confidence all throughout and him being able to do that uh, in response. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely agree. It's, it's a fun aspect of the game that the, the fans love it. I know it doesn't fit the traditional means of baseball, but, um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And I feel like 
we're slowly kind of breaking towards making that, you know, not not common, but in, in situations like that, you know, game six of the World Series, I'm, I'm totally okay with something like that. I love it. And the other thing uh, I wanted to talk about was that that massive call uh, by the umpires yeah. uh, on the, the guy running down. Uh, Trey Turner hits a dribbler uh, down the third baseline. He runs to first and a little bit on the inside uh, yeah. of the foul line, runs through the bag and hits uh, the glove of Jordan Alvarez at first base, knocking it off of him. And the umpire rules interference, he's out, and then sends Jan Gomes, who at that point had gotten all the way to third base because the ball skipped away, all the way back to first. It ends up not mattering because Anthony Rendon uh, in the next at-bat, or sorry, two two at-bats, Hits a, a no, another no doubt home run. Uh, you know this team. Real quick side note is 100 percent at its best when Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto are, are yeah. carrying that offense. I mean the two of them are absolutely incredible. But uh, going back to that play, you know Joe Torre went on the broadcast after the game and said that he made the right call. It was a judgment call. Could not be. Uh, protested or reviewed uh, by the Nationals. And Davey Martinez, obviously livid with that call. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, they call it an interference because the ball was off. You, you saw Brad yeah. Peacock, I believe, made the play. His throw to Alvarez went into Turner, not the other way around. It wasn't Turner necessarily running out of the base path. When he hit that glove, he was stepping onto first base at that time. If he is being called for interference. Where else is he supposed to run? Uh, right. You know, it wasn't it wasn't that he ran out of the baseline. It's that he impeded that play. And if that ball was thrown uh, in a normal spot for Alvarez to catch, then you know there's no interference. Turner is running exactly where he needs to go. Uh, nobody says a thing, and that's where you know it puzzles me because basically Turner was penalized for. Brad Peacock having a bad throw. I mean, yeah. where else, you know, like I said, where else is he supposed to run at that point? He's running right onto the bag. Sure, he was cut onto the inside a little bit, but when he stepped onto the bag, he was right in the center. He, he worked his way back to the base, to the bag uh, by the time he got down the line. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I, I completely agree. That was an awful call. Um, I was really confused that I was texting the group chats that, that we're in because I was at a bar and, uh, of course, it's loud in the bar. The game was muted. I'm like, wait, what? why are we sending why are we sending Gomes back to first? What, what's going on? And so I had to text in there and get the full explanation. And I just – I couldn't believe it. First of all, the, the, the review of it took so long um, in itself just to call it to stand. Now, I will say, you know, in the slow motion of it, I was like, oh, he didn't step that far out of the baseline – and then, you know, faster, it, it kind of looks a little bit different, but they called interference. Um, and, and like you said, right when he was at the bag, I, I, it's, it's, it's just a bad call. Unfortunately, like you said, it didn't matter because the Nats went up there, put up two more runs in that inning. Um, but, man, could you imagine what the problem they would have had if, if Houston had come back and won that game? I mean, that could have been um, a disastrous call for just the league in general, kind of like a, uh, kind of like a certain play in, in the NFC Championship game, if, if you don't remember uh, Matt, just a friendly reminder there. And just one last thing on this game, Steven Strasburg, uh, you know, I think it's really interesting. Two years ago, uh, I believe it was game four uh, of the NLDS uh, against the Cubs, Strasburg got the flu that morning. And originally uh, the team announced that he would not be making that start uh, because he was feeling too sick. Uh, comes out in pitches anyway, uh, you know, there was a lot of backlash that game uh, before that, you know, he was weak and uh, couldn't rise up to the moment, which is, 
you know, bullshit, let's be honest. Uh, but that, you know, that was the narrative and he ends up pitching and, uh, went out and gave seven innings, uh, of one run ball. Since that point, he has been absolutely incredible, uh, in the playoffs. I think that, you know, if we don't get a huge offensive performance by Soto, uh, tomorrow, we could be seeing either Strasburg or Scherzer, uh, getting a World Series MVP if the Nats win, of course. Uh, I, I've been thinking about this a little bit because Soto really disappeared, uh, over games three through five. Uh, certainly he had a big home run. Uh, he's the, the youngest player in MLB history to ever have three home runs, uh, in a single World Series. So he's, he's definitely done well in the Nats wins and that's what it's just going to take. Uh, but he kind of disappeared over those games, uh, and brought some of his numbers down. So I could see them, uh, giving it to Strasburg, uh, who pitched, uh, six innings of, I believe, two run ball. Um, yeah, six innings, two run ball in game two. Then it goes eight and a third, one run in game six. Uh, two otherworldly performances for him. He gets two wins. First ever pitcher to go 5-0 and in a single postseason. Uh, he's been an insanely good pitcher for them in the playoffs. He actually leads all players right now in innings uh, pitched this year if we're including the playoffs. So nobody should be more taxed than Strasburg at this point of the season. And yet mm -hmm. here he is just absolutely uh, I mean, it was incredible. It really was. And his career postseason ERA, this is from Sarah Langs, uh, who works for MLB.com. Career postseason ERA, 1.46. Of the 165 pitchers who've thrown at least 40 postseason innings uh, since 1913, only two have a lower ERA than Steven Strasburg, Mariano Rivera and Sandy Koufax. Jesus. Rivera, of course, being yeah. a, a reliever, uh, really that puts Strasburg and Koufax as, as maybe two of the, the best postseason starters in history right now, right. Uh, which is just so much to wrap your, your head around. Uh, I don't know if, if people are going to be willing to anoint Strasburg that just yet. Uh, considering the Nats haven't won a title, I think that narrative really changes uh, if the Nats win the World Series. Um, but, you know, I also think that he's going to need to, you know, the Nats are going to need to go deep in the playoffs more than once uh, for that for that to really happen. But he's certainly well on his way to driving that narrative, and it's been insane uh, this postseason. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, so are, are we going to give out our, our winners here? Who are, who are I mean, we taking? we got to put well, it out there. I have to go with the Nats. I mean, I can't. There's yeah. no way I'm going to be predicting uh, the Astros to win tomorrow's game. I mean, I, I think a, a single baseball game is as toss up as any. Um, but you know, the the Nats are eight and zero this postseason when either Steven Strasburg or Max Scherzer starts. Uh, mm -hmm. And we've got Scherzer on the mound tomorrow against Granke, who's been susceptible this postseason. Uh, if it really just comes down to Scherzer, if he's at his best. I mean, the Nats win this game. There, there's no doubt in my mind. If he's uh, if he struggles early, I think that the Nats have, have certainly you know players in, in Sanchez and Corbin, possibly Strasburg, Doolittle, Hudson, guys who can close out that game and, mm -hmm. and you know limit the damage for sure. Uh, but uh, you know, so do the Astros. That this bullpen, which I have doubted time and time again this postseason, has just continued to show up and be uh, absolutely insane. Uh, yeah. I think that you know this this bullpen has really uh, rose to the occasion in a way that I didn't think it was capable of doing. Uh, certainly blew up last night, uh, not the way that they really wanted to roll into this game. Uh, some of those guys going to be taxed. The Nats will be a little bit more fresh, which is why I was kind of confused that Sean Doolittle was used uh, in the ninth inning last night. I would have liked to see Strasburg not just 
for, for sentimental value of having him close out the game. But, you know, why do little uh, with a five run lead the ninth inning? Uh, he ends up having to throw, you know, like 15 pitches or something like that. So now he'll be uh, going back to back tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, which was just a little puzzling to me. But uh, for the most part, the Nats team bullpen will be completely fresh uh, and they have to be feeling good about that. So uh, I, I, I'm going to say Nats, um, but it really just does come down to Scherzer. Right. I, I agree 100 um, percent with it coming down to Scherzer. Now, I've got another guy that I think uh, has been in a, a, a three game little bit of a slump. And eventually, I think I think that uh, game seven, he's going to come out on top. And, and unfortunately, Matt, um, I'm going to have the Astros winning tonight. I, I'm expecting uh, a Jose Altuve game to show up since uh. Uh, over the last three games, he's been hitting uh, 231, only three hits in that stretch. Um and really, you know, no, you know, one RBI out of those three hits. Um, you know, fortunately for games uh, four and five, it didn't matter for, you know, his back kind of disappearing. But um, I think that, you know, kind of just like with the Yankees, man, game seven or game six, trying to force a game seven, bottom of the ninth, two run dinger off of Aroldis Chapman. Uh, I think Altuve shows up when it matters most. And uh, I'm not rooting for it, Matt. You know that I'm rooting for your Nationals. <laughs> to win the World Series for you. I want to see you happy. I don't want to see you sad all the time. Um, I'd, I'd more rather save that for the NFL. But uh, but I am going to go, and I'm going to say the Astros <laughs> win things tonight. Big game from Jose Altuve. Um, yeah, I'm going to be at the stadium tomorrow uh, at Nats Park. I have some tickets uh, to the watch party there in the stadium. So Wait, you um, keep – oh, that's another thing. You keep saying tomorrow night. We're recording this it's the morning tonight. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Like, I keep yeah. thinking that, man. Because <laughs> we usually do it the night before. Yeah, yeah. Um, real quick, I also said Jordan Alvarez at first base. It was Yuli Gurriel. Oh, yeah, Gurriel. Uh, so yeah, my yeah. fault. Got that mixed up. But anyway, um, I- I'm going to be at Nats Park tonight hey. uh, to watch there. And I will awesome. riot the streets of D.C. <laughs> with everybody else uh, <laughs> if they do win. I missed the Caps celebration. I was right. in New York for that summer. Uh, and, and fortunately wasn't able to be in DC for all the festivities, but, uh, I will be, I don't have, I don't have work today and I don't have work tomorrow, so I can go full Beautiful. send for this game. Uh, I'm very excited about that. So, uh, we'll see. I'm hoping that we'll, there'll be a lot to celebrate about, but, uh, it's going to be a fun environment. It's, it's been, uh, just want to say it's been such a great ride with this Nats. Team. Oh yeah. I mean, year after year of, of losing in the first round, I, I think it really took a toll on this fan base and kind of dampered, uh, excitement around it. You know, the Nats are, are still a young fan base. Uh, they've only been, they're only here, I think 13 years now it's been, uh, no, this is their 14th season. Um, since they came to D.C. So, uh, you know, some fans are still warming up to the idea of rooting for this team. And, you know, they, they were good and, and had a Bryce Harper, and that got them a lot of attention. But every year that they faltered in the playoffs, it kind of tempered expectations and uh, made some casual fans feel like, ah, oh, it's not worth following this team. They're just going to get knocked out in the first round anyway. So I think this run has really injected hope and belief uh, into the Nationals fan base. And even if they don't win tomorrow or win tonight, gosh, I keep doing that. Even yeah. if they don't win tonight, <laughs> Uh, you know, I think that the Nats fan base is going to be more energized moving forward, more excited about this team. And, you know, uh, I think that this run is, is really the key to all of that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, b- buckle up, man. Um, buckle up. I'm ready. I've had this, this whole run has been a roller coaster. Crazy. So I don't know if, if I can handle another, uh, you know, tight game like last night was, but, uh, well, I guess I'll just have to make do because I guarantee it's going to come down to the wire. That's been the story of the Nats season all year. All right. 
that is going to do it uh, for our show today. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I'm Matt Wyrick on Twitter, at uh, Matt Wyrick FBB, although that handle will be changing uh, in the next couple oh, of days. Yeah. Uh, so stay posted for that. Uh, Blake is over at Blake Andrew Pace, uh, writing about Syracuse and the Colts uh, for SB Nation. Blake, any final words for the good people? Uh, yeah, enjoy the game tonight. Uh, enjoy Thursday night football. We'll be back Friday taking a look at you know some week nine football stuff, some gambling bets, um, and and yeah, let's just keep keep running it back, man. Let's do it. All right, everybody. For Blake Pace, I'm Matt Wyrick. Thank you all so much for listening, and have a good one.